0: Well, today's message is on parenting, and so it's for fathers and for mothers. It's also for single parents and step-parents. In fact, no matter who you are, if you have children, then your responsibility is to parent well. So being a single parent or being a step-parent or whatever it is, that just increases your degree of difficulty. But it's all the same. We've got the responsibility of parenting our children well. In fact, even if you're single here this morning or you're married and maybe don't have any children, I think this message is still for you. This area of parenting was an area that I felt challenged about even before I was married. I can remember in college... Uh, making a special point each week to go see this Focus on the Family film series. That was back in the day where they showed these great big movie reels in church, you know, and, you know, the high-tech stuff that they had in those projectors and kind of stuff. But I remember going week after week because it's an area I wanted to learn about. I wanted to understand better. You know, I mean, I had good parents they were certainly loads better than what they had experienced but but even as a single adult I can remember thinking many times what in the world were they thinking you know um, and so I and so I just wanted to learn I wanted I wanted to be better at this whole thing so I determined even again as a single young adult that if God gave me a wife and if he blessed us with children then I wanted to be the best parent that I could be so if that's you this morning Man, stay tuned. This is the time. Um, you may have children someday. At the very least, you have friends who have children, and you have to listen to them whine. And uh, so you want to be prepared. No, seriously, I mean, you want to be able to offer them up godly input, godly advice, wisdom from God's Word. And so this message, I think, is for all of us. And let me just say up front that I am in no way claiming to have all the answers on parenting. We do have, Janet and I, do have two great young adult children, and I I guess that does give me some level of credibility. I mean, if both of our kids were unemployed drug addicts who hated God and us, then you'd probably be smart to leave now. But, um, But seriously, having great kids can't be your goal. I mean, certainly it's what we desire, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's too many things about the outcome or the results those kinds of things that are just out of our control so our goal has to be to parent our children in a way that truly pleases god that's the goal to be the best parent whether that's step parent or whatever it is to be the best parent that we possibly can be to get the focus off of us to get the focus off of the results, the behaviors, to get the focus off of all of those things, and instead to get the focus on pleasing God by the way that we strive to parent our children. That's what it's about. But the problem with parenting is that it isn't an exact science, is it? I mean, it's filled with judgment calls and decisions and all of those different things. I remember when our kids were smaller, uh, we went on vacation. And while we were on vacation, our dog died. dog wasn't with us. We had some friends who were keeping our dog when our dog died. And it was friends that we had watched their boys many times. And I reminded them that we had always given them back to them alive. (laughs) But while we were gone, they were watching our dog and the dog died. It wasn't their fault. The dog just, you know, gave up. And um, that was in the days before there were cell phones and all those kinds of things. And so it was a number of days before they could eventually get a hold of us. And so what they had done is we both had a um, friend who was a vet who had a cooler and he put our dog in the cooler. And uh, so while we were gone, I decided that the best thing to do after we got back was for, me to, for us to take our kids to see Barney, that was our dog's name, one more time. Now, Janet, on the other hand, thought this was the most barbaric, awful thing that we could ever do, that we were going to scar our kids for lives. And so we disagreed. And uh, I'm bigger, so I won. So when we got back... <laughs> Um, I took the kids to see Barney one more time, and Janet made the point to me. She said, now, don't you be just coming home from work and taking these kids and then going on back to work and leaving me here to deal with them. You take them out for ice cream, you process them through this whole thing, you know, I mean, she gave me that whole act, and so so I did. I came home from work early, and, um, and I took them to see the dog, and, and uh, I was preparing them the whole way about what a great dog, you know, Barney was, and how we loved Barney, and and how we're going to miss Barney. and You know, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff to prepare them as we get there. And so we get there, and the kids were fine. Me, on the other hand, <laughs> like I did not prepare myself. I mean, I'm, I'm just crying, you know, uncontrollably. I can't, you know, they're going, Dad, it'll be all right, really. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Joel is going, look, the dog's tail is frozen, you know. Looky here. And Dad didn't infect them at all, you know, but me. But my point is just this. I mean, parenting isn't just simply doing the right things. Because there's just millions of choices. There's millions of decisions along the way. And, And sometimes we don't know what the right things are. And sometimes we disagree. But this much I do know is that good parenting doesn't happen by accident. I mean, it doesn't just come naturally. It isn't like falling off of a bicycle. That... Good parenting requires a determined choice to parent well that's followed by millions of other choices along the way. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to determine with me that we are going to parent our children in a Jesus-centered way rather than just reacting or rather than letting circumstances or how we feel determine what we're going to do. In fact, I I don't think most parents have ever done this. I don't don't think we've ever, most of us, sat down and really thought through how it is that we parent or how it is that we're going to parent or or why we do the things we do or don't do the things we're we're going to do. And so I want to really challenge you to do that, to really think through how it is that you parent or that you're going to parent or how you're going to offer up advice to those who are parenting to really think those things through this morning. So I want to give you four observations. If you haven't done so, inside your worship folder is this um, message notes page. You can pull that out. It's got some blanks that you can fill in. It's also got the verses that we're going to refer to, to today that you may also want to have there to go back to and look at again. But four observations. These aren't the only things, obviously, but four things that I think are founded on God's Word about this, act, this aspect of Jesus-centered parenting. So let's wade into it. Here's the first one. Is that Jesus-centered parenting means accepting your kids for who they are rather than using them to fuel your own fulfillment. Jesus-centered parents send this message loud and clear that they just accept their kids for who they are. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training in the instruction of the Lord. That word there, exasperate, in verse 4, just means this it means to cause to anger. Fathers, don't cause your children to anger, don't exasperate them, Paul says. I spent 14 years as a youth pastor, and, and in the years since, I, I, I've just dealt with a lot of adults, even who, many of whom, are angry because they were wounded. By their dad, whether they're 12 or 15 or 50, they still carry that anger. They were exasperated by their father, wounded by him, or they never felt that that he truly accepted or or that he truly loved them. Sometimes that was because of abandonment. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a separation. Maybe it was, it was their dad's own issues, but they never had that sense of, of being loved by, the, by their dad. Often it was because they just felt that they could never measure up, or, or that they only got their dad's approval when. You know, when they performed well enough. When they achieved high enough. When they looked attractive enough. They, just, they, they only got their dad's approval when they performed well enough. Well, let me just say two quick things about that. Number one is this. Hear me on this. That God is a father who loves and accepts you as you are. Not when, not if, not if you're capable of, not if you perform well enough. God is a Father who loves and accepts you just as you are. And no matter how your earthly dad may have failed you, if that's you here this morning, you have a heavenly Father who's radically different than that. And then the second thing I just want to say is, is just this, to those of us who are dads, is I'd ask you just to join me in determining that we're not going to fail our kids this way. To the best of our abilities, we're not going to fail our kids this way. You know, I know pastors who do this to their kids. And they send the message to their kids that, that somehow it's their job to make them look pastorly. You know, we told our kids early on and often that if anybody ever comes up to them and says, hey, you shouldn't be doing this because you're a pastor's kid, or I can't believe that's, this is what's happening with you, or that, you know, you should be doing If anybody ever says any of that stuff, that I want them to tell them that their dad said for them to stick it in their ear. <laughs> that's what I told them. Because it wasn't their job to make me look like a pastor. That, that really had nothing to do with it. And, and we let our kids know very clearly that we did the things we did in our home because we loved Jesus. And that it wouldn't be any different if, if, we, if I was a plumber or a teacher or anything else. That we were Jesus lovers. That's why we did the things that we did. And let's be honest. Accepting our kids and communicating that message is not only an issue for fathers, right? Right? Issue for mothers too. Soccer moms and hockey moms can be the worst. And so Janet and I determined that we were not going to let our kids' athletic performance, or their grades, or anything else, fuel our self-image. You know, my parents were were great at this when I was um, when I was. 10 years old in fourth grade it used to be back then that uh, fourth graders nationally took this standardized test Do you remember that That those you're old enough everybody everybody in the country took this test in fourth grade and um one day my parents got a call to come down to the school it was an evening and uh, they set up an appointment for my parents to come down and i i I didn't know i mean i was a pretty compliant kid and i I didn't think i'd done anything and i didn't know what was going on and and uh, I remember just being on my edge till t- they came home. And, and the minute, when, as soon as they were at the door coming home, I, I said to them, what do they want? What was it about? And, you know, they were downplaying. oh, it was nothing. It was no big deal. And I just knew it. it had to be something. I said, come on. It had to be something. What was it? My dad said, they said you were the fourth dumbest kid in the country. <laughs> I'm not sure that was my dad's, you know, shining moment right there, but... Um... But uh, what had happened was, this, this is true, is that um, in that standardized test, I had scored in the bottom 3% nationally. Now, for years, I really did think I was like, you know, number four. I mean, you know, there were like three <laughs> who had done worse than me. I would read like in the paper, like of some axe murderer my age, and I would think, I wonder if that was one of those other three guys. <laughs> I... <laughs> so... At least there were more than three that did worse than me on that. But, um, but on, this, is, this is true. You know, grades were never an issue with my parents. And, and, and never did that, they, they never sent any message that ever reflected on them. And, and truthfully, I was always a chronic underachiever in school. And, but my, my parents were so good that they didn't somehow communicate any message like that, that, that somehow my performance impacted them in any way. They were great at that. And so, one of the greatest gifts, I think, that we can give our kids is this sense that they are special just for who they are. Without having to make us somehow feel better by their grades, or their athletic achievements, or their personality, or their behavior, or anything else. Jesus-centered parents send that message loud and clear. That they just love and accept their kids for who they are. Here's the second thing. Is that Jesus-centered parenting involves spending time on our kids. I mean, it's easier to spend money, right? But what our kids really need, what they need most, is our time and our energy. Hiram Smith tells a story of, of challenging parents to prioritize spending time with their kids. And so there was a father of a nine-year-old boy who was at this seminar, and he really took that challenge to heart. He heeded Hiram's advice. And so for the next three years, he really spent time with his son. He really upped that uh, aspect with his son and, and and was involved with him and did things with his son really kept that goal in front of him and spent time with his son like he had not done prior to that and then when his son was 12 years old he was tragically killed in an automobile accident and after that he wrote to Hiram, and here's what he said in the note <clears throat> he said of all the many emotions that i felt since the death of my son One of them hasn't been guilt. Thank you for challenging me to spend time with my son. And I got to be honest. You know, too often my kids got what was left over. You know, after my list of things that I thought was so important, or they got what was left of my creator creative energy after i had given my best to ministry or they got what was left of my focus after i'd given my best to my job i understand we we have jobs we have responsibilities we have things I, this isn't about being perfect here none of us bats a thousand but that reality that our kids need our time and so i work at it i strive at it i i i i i, I do all that i can to to make sure that I'm spending time with and on my kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Listen to what it says. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. And tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, the opportunity to influence our kids comes from time together. It takes time to sit at home with them and to walk along the road with them and to lie down with them and to get up with them. All those things that he talks about there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It takes time. And something I discovered is that quality time is just an accident that happens in the middle of quantity of time. Isn't that right? And so Jesus-centered parents know that. And we spend time on our kids. Here's another one, number three. Is that Jesus-centered parents are most concerned about their children's character and heart. That's what we're most concerned about, is their character and their heart. Not their behavior. See, it's not just a matter of getting them to act right. Not their achievements. Not their comfort. That what we care most about is their heart, their character. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. If there's one verse that is apparent we would do well to learn, it's this one. It says this, Folly, or, or the word there could be translated foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far away. The picture here is is is. This, this, this aspect of foolishness, it's, it's wrapped all around our children's hearts. And the picture is like, you know, have you seen a, a tree where there's like vines growing up around it and, and they're, they're so tightly there that they're, they literally are biting into the bark? Can you picture that? That's the picture here, that, that this, this foolishness is wrapped all around our child's heart. It's biting into it. It's, it's, it's there. It's what what happens to all of our children. Naturally, we're all born that way. But the problem is that left to its own, foolish children turn into foolish adults. And so it's our job as parents to recognize that and to attack the foolishness in them. To do all that we can to drive it away from them. But see, here's the problem in our culture. Is that rather than attacking <clears throat> foolishness, we feed and nurture it. We disciple our children to be self-centered and self-consumed. To somehow think that the role of the world around them is to serve and cater them. And if we're not careful, what we do is we train our children to be fools. But see, Jesus-centered parenting means that what we want most for them is to be sold-out Jesus lovers. To have hearts that are soft for God and the things of God. That bringing God glory is what we want most for them, not to seek after the things that will bring them happiness. See, what we do is is we act like our children's chauffeurs and errand boys, and then we wonder why they're so self-consumed. It's because we have fed their foolishness rather than seeking to drive it away from them. And I understand. I mean, our kids were involved in sports and all stuff. We drove. Them. I mean, I'm not saying you make them walk. <laughs> but, but to step back and think, what am I doing? How, what am I conveying to my kids to look for the foolishness in them and strive to drive it out rather than teaching them to be self-consumed and self-centered? See, we make it our prime objective to never let them experience the least bit of pain and discomfort. And then we wonder why they don't answer Jesus' call to take up their cross and follow Him. You see, Jesus-centered parents are more concerned with helping our kids be holy than being happy. See, we, we look for the foolish thinking in our kids and then we intentionally set about discipling it out of them see that word discipline did did you pick up on the root word of the word discipline is the word disciple The, the the reason we discipline our children is not to punish them that's not the point The point is to disciple them, to shape them, to train them. See, it's not just about getting them to act right. It's not about just getting them to behave. It's to somehow affect their thinking. To to recognize that foolishness in them and to help push it away and to instead grab hold of the truths of the claims of the Word of God. That's what we strive to do. And it's realizing that we only have 18 years or so to shape our children to be the kind of men and women that God wants them to be. You see, Jesus centered parents determine to give our kids what they need more than what they want. And do you just see how radically different this is than what we hear? most of the time around us when it comes to parenting. How radically different this is than just wanting our kids to behave or wanting them to act right. How radically different this is than so wrapping our lives around our kids that they start running our homes instead of us. Jesus-centered parents are more concerned with our children's development than their comfort or their happiness. I, I, I thought this was so wonderfully illustrated by Paul Miller in his book, of Praying Life. Let, let, me, let me just read you a few paragraphs. This is about his daughter, Emily. Paul Miller writes, Emily loves field hockey, which is like ice hockey except it's gentler and requires 11 players on a grass field. Her school had a superb, well-coached program Their team usually won its division and was frequently in the running for state championship. The coach was excellent, although Emily thought the coach played favorites. In that year, she and her friend were not the favorites. And occasionally, Emily set out the entire game. Another parent heard about the bench warming, and while chatting with me at the local gym said, isn't that unbelievable what the coach is doing? Doesn't that make you really mad? And I replied, actually, no. We're thankful that Emily has this low-level suffering while she's still on our watch. It's a wonderful opportunity for her to grow in faith. She'll learn far more about God on the bench than on the playing field. The other parent expected Jill and me to be angry about what was happening to Emily. You see, her goal for her child was tied to the child's accomplishments. Our goal was tied to Emily's faith. Because of that, we saw sports as just another venue where she could learn to sink her roots into God. I saw the bench warming as an answer to my daily prayer that Emily would not love the world or the things in the world. Now... Don't misunderstand. I wanted my daughter to play more. It stung when I glanced over from the bleachers to see her on the bench. But the disappointment was muted by the knowledge that having to sit on the bench was great preparation for life. Life is more about bench setting than about being a star. And can you just get your mind around how radically Different, that is, than most of what we hear about parenting. I mean, I I know just from coaching my kids sports, you know, I mean, the kids were never the problem. It was the parents, (laughs) right? Who had all of their things tied up in their kids' achievements, in their kids' performance. But you see, Jesus-centered parents care most about their kids' character and their hearts. That's what matters most. See, it's kind of a defense-offense thing. Defense, we, we strive to, to, drive, to recognize and to drive out the foolishness. And then offensively, back to Deuteronomy 6, we we strive to impress upon them the things of God. Not not rules, not legalism, but the things of of following and seeking after God in His ways. Because what we're most concerned about is their hearts. Well, here's one more, number four. Jesus-centered parents also know that show and tell... Is the only way to teach our kids. That modeling is really the only way to instruct our children. That if you want your kids to believe something, then you show that you believe it. That if you want your kids to have certain values, then you live by those values. You know, I didn't put this in your notes but I'd encourage you this week to go back and read again Genesis 22. You know, that's the story about where I, where Abraham offers up Isaac. I think it's one of the most compelling stories in the Bible. It's also one of the most disturbing, don't you think? But so often I've, I've read that story and, and I, I I think that's what we most of the time do. We think through it from Abraham's perspective. And what an awful thing. Here's this son whom he loves, and God asks him to be willing to offer him up and to literally take him and plunge the knife into him. I mean, just, and and we relate to it from Abraham's perspective. But this week, when you read it again, I want you to try to think it through from from Isaac's perspective. You see, Isaac knew that his dad loved him. I mean, you you, you read the Genesis story. You you can't miss that. This was the son whom he longed for, that he prayed for, that God gave them. He was the apple of his dad's eye. That that, that comes clear through the story. He knew that. But you know what he also knew? He knew that his dad loved God more. Because he showed it in Genesis 22. Isaac knew that. That his dad obeyed God even when it was, it was the hardest thing that he could imagine doing. That he, listened, he, he knew that his dad did the hard things that God asked for. You know how he knew that? Because his dad lived it out in front of him, right there in Genesis chapter 22. And parents, listen, the best thing that we can do for our kids is to live out what we believe so clearly in front of them that they can't miss it. Now, I'm not not talking about perfectionism. I mean, kids don't need perfect parents. They don't need perfection. What they need to see is authenticity. They need to see passion and sincerity and genuineness and humility. I mean, none of us bats a thousand. Come on. I mean... If you get a hit in baseball 30% of the time, you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, career 300 hitters are in the Hall of Fame, right? It's not perfection. Our kids don't need to see perfection. They just need to see authenticity. They need to see the real things. They need to see us mess up and get back and work hard at doing the right thing again because we so much want to obey God. We so much want, even despite the fact that we fail and and, and don't, that we get back up and we go at it again and we do the hard things. They, that's what kids need to see. And so let me just ask all of us, what is it that you are modeling for your kids? I mean, what kind of attitudes are you modeling? I mean, you gripe about everything? Or do you show graciousness and forgiveness and compassion? What are you modeling? I mean, do they see you show the love of Christ for other people? I mean, do they see you pray? I'm not talking about having a big pageant and you making a big show of it. Do they just see that, that when you face things that you turn to God? Really, that's who you turn to first is to God. Is that what they see? Do they see you read the scriptures? Again, not that you, you know, make a big deal and ring a bell and, you know, open the Bible there. They, you know, I mean, do, they, do they just see that God's word is something that you really are striving to get into you so that you can live by? Do they see that? Do they see you reaching out and building relationships with your unsaved neighbors? Do they see you doing the hard things out of sheer obedience to Christ? Not Perfection. But genuine, authentic, humble, sincere efforts to follow hard after God. Because, you see, show and tell is really the only way that we teach our children. Jesus-centered parents know that. Man, parenting isn't for cowards, is it? It's hard work, and it's a journey not a sprint, it's a a marathon, not a quick run. But do you see how radically different Jesus-centered parenting is from what we hear in the world around us? And so my challenge to all of us is let's make up our mind. Let's determine it. Again, it's it's one choice followed by millions of others, but let's decide on the front end that to the best of my ability, I want to do it God's way. And, you know, if what you're feeling now is guilt, or, 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 then all of that's from someplace else. That's not from God. This isn't about guilt. And, in fact, and you need to know this, too. You can do all the right things, and your kids can still make wrong choices. You know that, don't you? It's not about the results. It's not about the behavior. It's about being able to stand before God and say, God, I want to do this well for your glory. To the best of my ability, I want to to work hard and intentionally. I I determine to do so with your help. God, help me do that so that you get the glory of that. Let's determine to do that. Can we do that, parents? So let me pray for all of us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us who, who are parenting now different stages different ages some of us just on the front end with little ones like what we saw here this morning all these beautiful little children many of them and some of us with kids you know along the way some of us with kids that are practically grown some of us with grown kids now and some of us with all scattered to the mix some of us jesus who don't even have children yet but will one day some of us who may never have children but we get to take on that role of being godly aunts and uncles and friends and mentors. Some of us who thought we were done parenting, now we find ourselves with these grandchildren. God, help us to parent well. For your glory. For your glory, Jesus. Help us to love these children and to to get that message through to them that we value, that we cherish them. Help us to be able to communicate that message to our kids. Help us to to recognize the foolish thinking in them and to work intentionally, purposefully at at seeking to drive it out of our kids. Lord, help us to do the things to strive to make our kids holy rather than just striving to make them happy. And I pray that we would do so, God, all for your glory. For it's in your wonderful name that we pray and we worship you now. Amen. Amen.